Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dial the gate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Welcome to episode two of Dialing the Gate. Uh, thank you so much. Dial the Gate. Man, one of these days I will get my show name correct. Hello, everyone. My name is David Reed. Uh, thank you for joining us. This is going to be a more abbreviated uh, episode of the show because Tony has only uh, so much time to be with us. Normally, the, the shows are going to be running around uh, 90 minutes. But in this case, Tony is doing me a favor because Christopher Judge had to back out for uh, for work reasons. So let me just get right to this. And I appreciate your patience here. So for for the uh, way that this is going to go, we're going to have a guest Q&A. Tony and I are going to be talking for about 30 to 45 minutes around there. Submit your questions. Uh, I believe Summer and Ian, if I'm not mistaken, are running today, the, the show today. So I appreciate you guys. We've also got Keith and, uh, and Tracy in there as well. They are our new moderators. So thank you guys so much for coming aboard. Uh, we're going to try and keep them all organized, and then I'm going to ask those questions at the end of my line of questions to Master Break, Master Break Tech himself, Tony Amendola, and we're just going to go from there. So I appreciate you uh, hanging on while I discover this process uh, for myself. Okay, so with that out of the way... Before we get started, if you like Stargate and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it would mean a great deal if you click the like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm. It will definitely help the show grow its audience. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops. And you'll get my text notifications of any last-minute guest changes. This is key if you plan on watching live. And clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next several days on both the Dial the Gate and GateWorld.net YouTube channels. The clips are designed for people who don't have time to sit through the whole show. Um, unlike some of us who are sitting in cars forever and can you know listen to live streams and everything else. But without further ado, Mr. Tony Amendola, Master Braytac himself. Sir, I am not worthy. Thank you for being here. It's, it's it's a pleasure to have you. Um, how are things going out in LA? Fires? I mean, we've got we've got pestilence. It's yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah. been an interesting year. Don't you think? <laughs> My yeah, gosh! Yeah. You know, I, I heard the weather report today. There's a chance of frogs. So. Yep. <laughs> oh, God. No, yeah, it's uh, 2020, huh? Right. 2020, boy. What can yeah. it throw at us that we haven't seen before? So. Oh, don't say that now. <laughs> no, that's that's certainly true. You know, I thought that in uh, in April. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and now we're eating our words, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, I have been watching you on television, not with the intent of following you specifically, although you are an amazing talent. You just keep on popping up. Terminator, Once Upon a Time, of course, you know, Stargate, obviously. Do you consider yourself blessed? Well, <laughs> you know, uh, if you're a working actor, you're blessed. You know, I, 
we belong to a profession where, you know, on any given week, over 90% of us are unemployed, more, 94%. Uh, so the notion of, of being able to work uh, is, is exactly that. It's a blessing. Uh, you know, I remember when I finished school, uh, I went to school in Philadelphia. And at the end, you know, because you're in school, you're training. It's, it's sort of the equivalent, although not as practical, as medical school or law school mm. in, terms of, in terms of hours, in terms of intensity when you're in a training program. And I remember I was approaching the end of it, and I wrote a little note said, professional acting work, East Coast. And that was sort of like a, an affirmation because I had nothing in front of me. And uh, and it sort of worked out. I mean, it ended up being mainly on the West Coast, but uh, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm okay. And it's uh, uh, it's been a long, uh, busy and worrying and rewarding and every sort of um, mental state you can imagine. That's sort of an actor's life. But, uh, did you? But I have been blessed. Did you expect to find yourself where you are at this point in your life, or is this? Like Don S. Davis always said, you know, this is not where I wanted to be. It's wonderful, but it's not what I had in mind. Yeah, you know, I probably didn't have uh, much in mind. No, it's a complete surprise. I wasn't, you know, it's a, there's a term, uh, you know, a lifer for, for an actor. They're the people that knew at eight and they started singing and dancing and just, you know, they just knew that's what they were going to do. I didn't get involved until college. Uh and so consequently, it led me, it's taken me all over the world. It's, um, it's allowed me to study probably the most fascinating thing in the world, which is human behavior. Uh, and it's, uh, it's just provided me with a wonderful uh, uh, carte blanche to a kind of experience that um, I would never have. Uh, and it's, it's funny, it's sort of what an actor you know, some people describe the primary question of an actor is the, you know, what is it like to be you? You know, and from there, you know, actors really don't want to be themselves. Uh, we have to use ourselves, our bodies, our voices, uh, our emotions, uh, all of those things. But we we want to adapt. We want to change. And sometimes, you know, that's where the aspect of play comes in. I mean, to give you an example, I remember uh, really the, f I had done several films, but the first big studio film I did was uh, The Legend of Zorro. And I just remember pinching myself walking to set in these 19th century sort of Spanish nobleman uh, clothes and getting on a horse to ride in to the scene where there were 500 extras. Oh my gosh. Screaming at the top. And if you watch the opening, the yeah. opening scene of uh, Legend of Zorro, you know, and I could, and it, I remember just thinking, oh, my God, uh, you know, it, it's just one. It's sort of like it's the equivalent of, uh, uh, well, this is not X-rated, so I guess I can say it. Yeah. Uh, you know, the first time you make love and you pinch yourself because the other person is so beautiful and you, you wake You're up. You're fortunate. And remember, yes. You, you just pinch yourself. You know, you think, oh, my God. Uh, and so that was what. um you know, that was where acting took me. Now, to be fair, and we must be fair, lest there be young people out there who think, you know, oh, just climb that stairwell and and I can have that experience. It's uh, it's a grind. You know, they say uh, 
there's an old saying, you know, they pay us for worrying and waiting. The acting is free, you know, so. I, uh, I, I can I can definitely attest to that, you know, going and and visiting you guys on set for years and years. Uh, I never crossed paths with you on set, but it's waiting. It's a it lot waiting. of waiting. And, you know, you have to know your lines and be on your marks. And there's nothing to stop you from not knowing your lines. But you're going to make 150 people miserable if you don't. Right. And and lest we be clear, that's the good waiting. The waiting you're describing is the waiting when you have a job. You have a job and you're on set. You're, you know, the, you're working. There's craft services or they used to be before the pandemic. You know, there are, you know, there's a million things. There are long hours, but you're employed. I'm talking about the waiting in between jobs. I'm talking Oh, about, I understand now. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, you know, for me, uh, for instance, it, it, one of the things about an actor is you have to look in the mirror very hard. And I was fortunate enough that when I finished school, I managed to get theater work. And it was a type of theater work that was seasonal work. In other words, I was working from uh, May, uh, excuse me, from uh, September until the end of May. And then I do something else in the summer, uh, which hardly exists now. It's very, very rare. But it gave me that. Be- I say that because actors make sense at different ages. I was never a, a young leading man. That wasn't. You know, so the notion of me coming down to L.A. and pursuing my, uh, you know, acting as a younger, say, in my 20s w- would have been I would have worked, but it, it wouldn't have been very rewarding. So instead of that, and this was completely, you know, by accident, it wasn't a choice. I ended up doing 15 years of rep work, you know, and, and when you do that, you make a living certainly not a lot of money but you pay your bills you have a regular life you have a car can you explain rep work for me well you know rep work is when uh you you're doing a season of plays you're not hired for just one thing for for instance if they were doing a a play about bray tag then they would think oh tony is a good bray tag but the very next play they'll be doing a different kind of play and they'll think well you know he's not quite right in rep the whole notion is is to expand the actor so you get to play the roles you're right for and the roles you have no, no reason to be playing, but it, it makes for wonderful growth. And how it, the sum becomes greater than its parts is because you're working with the same group of people. So in one season, for instance, I could play Iago in Othello. Mm. I could play, uh, uh, you know, a uh, Clifford Odette's urban thing, but I'll play the gentleman caller in the glass menagerie. Now for the people who know Tennessee Williams, the glass menagerie, I am not your typical casting for that, mm-hmm. but that's where the challenge is. And, you know, you get a finicky artistic director who's interested in presenting a slate of plays to an audience, but is also interested in the growth of the company and you get opportunities like that. And, uh, and that's unique, you know, that's really unique. Whereas in television film, it's a different, schedule i mean you are so busy in the theater you can be and if you're lucky you're doing big films you're very busy in film and television but in between they asked uh they asked robert duval what the key to survival in los angeles was and and he looked at them and said hobbies hobbies and more hobbies the reason for that is you'll drive yourself crazy that you know, neurosis for the actor comes in not being able to uh, work. 
to not be able to get what's inside of them out. You know, they're they're in a poker game that's all in, in a kind of way. You know what I mean? And and you know, there are very few parents, if any, who would say, "Oh, I want my son to be grow up and become an actor." <laughs> You know, because they want to spare you. Yeah, they're going to be spending a great of, deal of time uh, unhappy. Uncertain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can be, and and so getting back to your original question, do I consider myself blessed? Without a question, I consider myself blessed, and that was from the get go. You know, I, uh, with the exception of Los Angeles, I never faced prolonged employment in Los Angeles. I have, uh, you know, months, uh, months on months. Uh, uh, but you know, previous to that, it was, uh, pretty unique. Have you worked yeah. since, um, since COVID has started? Has, have you had a chance uh, to be on set or are you, are you still doing uh, everything over zoom? Like you were talking before uh, during the GateCon interview that you were, you were prepping yeah. for a play through zoom. Right. Everything's through zoom. The only uh, thing I've done is I've done, uh, in studio, some VO. uh, I've done voiceover work. I have not shot anything yet i have all the auditions are on uh, they just started actually opening up the whole uh notion where you can film just you know a couple of six weeks ago maybe and it takes a while to grind up but auditions are coming back now it is weird though to audition on mm-hmm. zoom you know it's not it's not quite the same uh well, so we're not awkward. out of the woods yet you know so everyone's kind of no, like no figuring this no thing out as we go forward so absolutely yeah no one knows you know and Everything is changing because also, you know, the big, you know, what happens if all the movie theaters go away or if a significant number of them go away, as as we know, is a possibility right now. No one knows. Uh, Broadway just yesterday pushed their opening date to the end of May, beginning of June 2021. Wow. That's the earliest anything will be on Broadway. Wow. So and, you know, you you ask yourself. So so I've been doing oddly, David, I've I've been very busy sometimes i i wonder how am i you know how can i be busy there's nothing going on but you there are projects people have uh, uh, you know desires and pet projects that i want to work on i'm working on like three or four different zoom things one is a, a sort of an examination of some scenes in king lear another one is uh, the caretaker pinter's the caretaker another is uh, well you know it just it sort of all those types of things but um the, the, it's they're all labors of love with the exception of the vo work it's that's been uh, <laughs> you know the, thank god and um gotta pay the bills somehow <laughs> yeah you, you have to you have to you know um and as you say we're not out of the woods no one quite knows i mean you have to trust you have to trust and you know you realize you know uh, and you probably have read this you know some great things have come out of uh some great work has come has been written or created during pa- pandemics. I mean, some Shakespeare's greatest plays, Lear, *Time of Athens*, *Coriolanus*, all written. Uh, I think *Antony and Cleopatra* written during time of uh, of plague. Uh, and uh, so, I think that there's that, yeah, there's no, no doubt that you know uh, that we've had. There's definitely been some horrible things to happen through this, but I mean, this year and perhaps. Please God know that the years that follow it will be studied for the rest of our lives, and there's absolutely. going to be some good as well. You know, I mean, look at the stories of nine eleven. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, for instance, you know, we're going. Uh, I keep thinking we're going into flu season, which is always a 
you know, a big worry. What are they calling it? The twin pandemic now, yeah. twin demics. Uh, and that's, it's a real worry, you know, get your flu shot. I'm getting mine uh, on Monday. Uh, but supposedly uh, the flu numbers in the Southern hemisphere, which is winter, have been very low this year from what I understand. Because guess what? The same precautions we take for COVID are identical to the precautions you right. take for flu. So I'm, I'm hoping that we won't have to, uh, we won't get a double whammy. But uh, yeah, there's so many, you know, you sh- it's, it's sort of affords you a time to really stop because we were, yeah, it's such a pace. There's such a pace with social media and, and the bombardment of information to all of a sudden have a lull without, of course, ideally without the deaths and the pain and the suffering. But to have that is a, a real eye-opener and, and sort of, what does it mean? Who are we uh, mm-hmm. at this point? And, uh, you know, so there's a there's some big, big things coming up. You know, it's, what do they say? May you live in interesting times. It's the Chinese yeah. proverb, for sure. Yes, Absolutely. Exactly. I want to switch gears with you here. The last time I saw you in person, we were with Carmen Argenziano. Ah. A word about Carmen. Well, you know, uh, it's funny. We all work together in Stargate and and we all uh, know each other. But when you're in Vancouver and you're working very long hours and you have a family, as you know, the other cast members did, there's not enough. There's not really a lot of time to socialize, which is why we enjoy going to conventions, because there's nothing but time to socialize. And you see each other as well as the fans. Absolutely. But see... If you're out of town, because, of course, I live in Los Angeles, as Carmen did, and you're working in Vancouver now, you know, who do you go eat dinner with? Who do you go? And so, you know, Carmen and I had, you know, wonderful times together and, uh, you know, great laughs. He's a very, very um, he was a very sort of humble guy, almost to the point where you're thinking, come on, you've been doing this 50 years. Will you stop? Will you stop? Yeah, give you some, you know, but uh, he, he was just unique. But, and we would always laugh because uh, there were a couple of incidents uh, at conventions where people would come up and say to Carmen, you know, you're, you're my favorite character in Stargate and I love your relationship with, uh, with Amanda and I just can't tell you how great it is. And then they put my picture in front of it. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. No way. I kid you not. Oh, my gosh. Maybe they left their glasses back in their hotel rooms. Well, you know, it was obviously I didn't have my my cap on. It was one of those uh, other pictures. (laughs) You know, uh, there were several where, for instance, there was, you know, the fire. Uh, the scene when, you know, the alternate reality when Tilk is uh, a fireman and rescues me and I'm in the yeah, hospital. Yeah, Changeling. I, I, That's true. Yeah, I Changeling, right. You know, I don't have my thing. So, But they do the same to me. Listen, <laughs> they, not only would they do that to me, I, I'll tell you, it's so funny. I can't tell you the number, uh, not tons, but several times people have come up to me and again, they love my work, they love my work. And, and then they, they tell me, and please, I have something here I want you to sign from Amadeus. Because in a certain light, in certain Marie Abraham. People, well, yeah, oh, I can oh, yeah. I can see that. Oh, but yeah. Carmen, you know, yeah. <laughs> absolutely no. So you know, when they do that, I, before I used to disappoint them and say, "Well, you know, thank you so much, but I'm not." You know, no, I just listen and I sign. I say, "Yeah, you know, I <laughs> you sign, sign my it. name." I don't. Yes, I don't sign F. Murray's name, 
but I sign my name and I give it to them. They'll catch up. You know, <laughs> right? The, the IMDb people, you know, will eventually well, say, um, "Look it up." Yeah, you know. And one other thing, David, it's so funny. For the longest time, uh, people always would say, "You know, you look like someone." When they always would say, "You should play Amadeus Salieri." You should be in Amadeus and play Salieri. And I hear that. I heard that for 30 years. And finally, just maybe 18 months ago, I got a chance to do it. So it was really. Oh, yeah. It was wonderful. It was a wonderful uh, experience to down in San Diego. I did it. Uh, uh, And it it was. Well, I figure it's now or never, you know. That's true. Well, it's played by a younger guy generally. And then. But here's what was so cool. The guy, the director, uh, he had seen some other work I'd done. He said, I really want you to do it now. You're a little older. He tell you why. He says, generally, young actors do it because they think, you know, and then they put the, because he's an old man. It's a flashback. And he sees all these old actors, you know, playing. And he says, you, he says, we we don't have the wig. We just, you know, my hair was longer. And you're of an age. You age up a little bit, 10 years, five years. And we'll put the dark wig on you. And because, guess what? I can, I can still move. I can still, I'm fine. I can give the illusion of youth. So anyway, uh, it, I finally, that was on my bucket list and I got a chance to, to do it. And I was really grateful. Speaking of buck, bucket lists, uh, Men of La Mancha. Oh, God. Don Quixote. Oh, yeah. I love that. Brad, uh, and I'm hoping that you can, you can pick up the story. Brad Wright and I were talking and there was a scheduling conflict. And this is just the, the, to show the goodness of that production and how they were flexible with the actors. Can you take it from there? I will, except I'm going to correct you. It wasn't Man of La Mancha. It was oh. Cyrano. Cyrano. Cyrano de Bergerac. Oh. Uh, another bucket list one. And I was doing it. And before I took the job, I uh, I called and said, hey, you know, I, I got this job coming up. I really, I really want to do it. I just, you know, uh, checking, see if you're clear. And, you know, am I clear for, you know, a couple of months, you know, eight weeks? And they said, oh, yeah, we're absolutely clear. So this is, you know, a month before. And. On the day I go, I'm dr- literally driving to uh, the first day of rehearsal, and uh, I get a phone call saying, "Oh, they have a they have an episode of Stargate for you." And I said, "What?" This, they told me that you know. So I said, "Okay." So uh, before I said no because I was committed now to this uh, Cyrano, and you know, people, you sort of have to honor your word. Uh, I called Brad, Brad and said, uh, hey, um, is there any chance, you know? And luckily, as you say, the production was such, and when I told him what it was, too, you know, every character guy's got a Cyrano in him. You know, it's not it's not the young, handsome, you know, uh, the Brad Pitt's walking around. I mean, Cyrano is the character man's Hamlet. It's the character man's adventure, you know? And so he, he, he said, oh, let me get back to you. And sure enough, they changed everything and worked it around. So I, I, I did both. So I, you know, I flew up, I did, uh, I think I did three days, you know, and then flew back and finished the week of the Cyrano and then flew up. Yeah. The other thing I'll never forget. I had to, I had to be up really early on Monday morning. And of course we performed Sunday night and the only flight I could get in was into Seattle. And how do I get from Seattle? And so they sent a driver, because they knew I had to get up at five, and, and they sent a driver. No, I, I have nothing but admiration and appreciation for Brad. And, uh, you know, Brad was very, very kind to me. He also, 
said something to me that was, you know, really sort of touched me. He in Threshold, the episode Threshold, which he wrote. Uh, I. I did it, and uh, it was our backstory. It's a very important story for Chris and myself. It's yeah. sort of my favorite episode be- because of that reason, our connection. Uh, and uh, and then I was up doing another episode later on in that season, and now they had edited and were just doing the final thing. And he came up to me and says, I want you to know I did not cut a single thing of yours in Threshold. And In editing. You know, in editing. He said... I kept every single moment and I thought, wow, thank you. <laughs> you know, and it was, uh, you know, it's sort of, you know, uh, being hired is, is in, a, in essence saying job well done. So, you know, actors, you can't expect in our, in our, uh, in the craziness of our schedule and the craziness of, of people to be overly appreciative all the time. Absolutely. But, the occasional word like that always, you know, and it gave me, it made me uh, feel a part of the show and made really a deep part of the show. And uh, so it's it very kind of it. When, I, I'm trying to think, when was the last time that, you know, you filmed as Braytock? I mean, 13, 14 years at this point, and we're still yeah. talking and there's still things to talk about, you know, Absolutely. something worked. Not only that, there's still some things to do. Ain't that the truth? I completely agree. Christopher with the Jaffa story, absolutely. Um, I want to take a step back. I want to go back a little bit um, and kind of get the foundation of you as a human being. Where were you raised? What did your family do? Uh, I was raised in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, Very blue collar. Uh, Both my... uh, both my mom and dad uh, worked. My mom worked in a uh, in a in a sewing factory, like a essentially a sweatshop, really. Uh, and my dad was a construction worker, but pre-union unions. This would have been, you know, in the in the fifties. And then I was lucky enough to get a job in the post office uh, late. He was probably in his forties when he mm. when he got that. And that sort of changed uh, everything. And uh, I had two two older brothers, and um, it was um, you know we all worked. Uh, we all worked. Uh, we all had after school jobs, and we all. This is a very. This is sort of a a template for a time past. This is this would not work today, mm. but it, it's what it was. You know, mm. we all worked, and me and my brothers, and we we contributed that money to the household. That wasn't like, Oh, we're we're working. So you can teach. So we can be taught responsibility. No, you, the family pulled together. Yeah. And oddly, I didn't realize until much later, because I mean, when I say I was working, I'm telling you, I was selling newspapers at seven and eight, uh, again, a different time. Uh, that was daycare. Because yeah. my brothers have roots too, so they can keep an eye on me. And my and because my my dad worked nights and my mom worked during the day, there there was no one at home to keep an eye on us. Uh, so we did that, and that's um, and that's sort of what it, you know it was. I almost uh, some of the big things. I almost went to a tech school, high school, but then I decided I didn't. And very late in my uh, uh, high school, I thought, oh. Yes, any of a number of trades that I could go into. And it was only late that I had a teacher who said, you know, maybe you should just do a year or two of college just for yourself. I think 
you know, it was a teacher who, uh, you know, I had tons of teachers who were very nice. I was a cut up. I wasn't a, was not a good student. I was not a bad student. I just, you know, in high school, I was working four to 12, you know what I mean? There was, you know, so uh, I, uh, she convinced me that uh, she insisted on having my opinion on things. And boy, did she regret that because, because then, <laughs> because then I never shut up. No. Um, and, and because of that, I went to college and it was in college that I literally, it's the old stumbled into an audition for a play. And that's, where it sort of began, but initially it was social. It was uh, a place to to be. You know, you're 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 19, 18, 20. You know, what do you what do you do with yourself? What do you do with your passions? Right. You know, once you get past the mask of what you, you're presenting to uh, society, and because of that, I gradually it was social. It was you know, uh, meeting people, meeting women, meeting, uh, and but I was lucky. Because of growing up in New Haven, there were two of the most respected regional theaters here in New Haven. And they were literally less than a 15-minute walk from where I grew up. And I would walk there. So when I was in college on a Saturday night, I'd go and put down my student uh, uh, ID and pay $10 for whatever they were showing. And it took me to a different world. That world was sometimes Irish. Sometimes it was American. Sometimes it was a Russian. Sometimes... But I got to see exquisite actors. Mm. I mean, for instance, I saw Meryl Streep, Sigourney Weaver when they were students. They were <laughs> students. Yeah. That's who I, you know, that's uh, John Cazal, uh, uh, John Lithgow, uh, uh, yeah. Al Pacino. Uh, these, this, is who, this is who was performing there. Uh, and so consequently, uh, Christopher Walken, I saw him doing a number of things before he was Christopher Walken. And so... I, I'm, I feel blessed for that because I didn't have to get rid of tons of bad habits that can sometimes happen when you start too early. It was always, my exposure was always oddly, really some of the top talent in the country. And, and so, wow. you know, and, and only after that, that I realized, Oh, I need to train more. And so I ended up going to school in Philadelphia. That's where I got my training. Uh, and uh, now what do you do? I taught. When I came out of school, I, I was going to move to New York, but I have no money. So I taught briefly, academically, uh, acting, directing, uh, those types of things. But And I was offered a job, a full-time job, to go into academia. You know, I, I'm very, but I did not feel, uh, I, didn't, I didn't feel it was good for the students for me. I, I didn't have any mm. professional experience. How can I go from being a student one year to being an instructor? I didn't, I wasn't. Uh, tried and tested what I knew. And so I said no, and I was lucky. Uh, uh, and because of that, I moved to New York, and then I started working. I got hired out of town. Got hired in Oregon for people that know the Shakespeare Festival there, where I spent a couple of seasons and directed and uh, and then did my my stint uh, of theater for the uh, first 14 or so years. Wow. That was a long answer, David. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> what was the? Do you recall the play in in high school that first got you? No, it was in it was in college. Oh, in college. Excuse me. Yeah, it was not in high school. It was That's not in high I'm school. I, no, in high school I was working full time. I played okay. basketball for a while. Oh, I did play basketball, okay. and that was oddly. I think that was my that was my movement. That's okay. where I learned I learned how to move. When you think about basketball, it's a very 
sort of um, jazz-like, dance-like, you know, modern dance, dancey sort of thing. And, and so that served me very well uh, as an actor. Uh, it was uh, the first play I ever stepped foot on stage was The Tempest. Shakespeare's okay. The Tempest. And I, you want to know my first line I ever said on stage? Please. All is lost to prayers, to prayers. All is lost. I think of that line all the time. <laughs> I bet you know the DNA of what that line means, too. So, Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, Did you yeah. ever get a chance to tell this uh, individual in uh, your high school, thank you? You changed. You ch- oh, so it, it was a it was a it was a college advisor that suggested the. Oh, 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 oh I'm sorry. You're talking about. Yeah. No, it was an English teacher. Did you ever did you ever get a chance to say thank you? I never did because you guess what? She eloped with another English teacher. <laughs> Two of them left. You're their, kidding. Their spouses. No, I kid you not. They're <laughs> big they left their spouses. And, so I don't know where she ended. But, you know, one time I Googled her, but I could not find her because I was, you know, I was having one of those nostalgic moments. So. But right. Absolutely. She may have changed their name. Yeah. Yeah. That, those kinds of things happen all the time. Um, bloodlines. So you had just done the mask of Zorro at this point. This is 1997. You had indicated before that you had uh, uh, always wanted to go to Vancouver. Tell us about being cast as Master Braytech. Yeah, I always wanted to go to Vancouver because my wife and I had uh, had gone through we, we took our first vacation together in 1983 and went to Banff Jasper, Rock, Canadian Rockies, flew yeah. into Vancouver, took the train across. So we fell in love with Vancouver because it was summer. <laughs> so it was summer. And it was, there's no, it's as glorious a place as you can imagine in summer. So uh, I was always jealous. My friends were working in Vancouver. I never got the opportunity. So I did Mask of Zorro. I was only home a week or so. Agent called, uh, audition. Stargate. I had seen the movie and enjoyed the movie. Uh, this 133-year-old blank, blank, blank shoots up in Vancouver, and uh, it was the Fourth of July weekend. So I really, oh. you know, what do you do on the Fourth of July weekend? You know, I mean, after you you celebrate, you yeah. some, I had time, so I really worked on the script, uh, and I was really prepared for the audition, and uh, I really wanted to go to Vancouver, <laughs> and <laughs> sure enough. You know, it happened, and one of the things I think made it happen, there's a special time for an actor after they finish a big film where they're sort of hot because the film hasn't come out and hasn't been a success or a flop yet, but there's a possibility that you could get this guy and he's just going to... So I think it, you know, it makes it makes those little things make a difference. I think uh, that having just come off the film, I also did an audition I was very pleased with. Uh, and uh, so that's sort of how it all came together. And now you probably want to hear the story about when I arrived and then realized I'm, I'm worried about the makeup. Uh, uh, Jan Newman, right? Jan Newman. <laughs> I'm sorry. So probably some of the people have heard the story. I'm sorry, but no, please. I, yeah. So I, I arrive and I think, you know, and, and, you know, my wife, if I'm working in Oklahoma or if I'm working in, uh, uh, some other places say that are not as desirable uh, to visit. Uh, she will not come, but boy, Vancouver, New Orleans, those types of Mexico, she'll come. So she, she was so excited to come back, but now I realize, Oh my God, 
she's going to be here. We want to enjoy the town as well as do this work. And I'm playing 133 year old guy. What are we? It's going to be a makeup chair, 4.30 in the morning. I'm going to be fried. And so I get there, I do my uh, wardrobe fitting, which is great. I'm going to leave. And they, the second AD say, hey, 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 makeup key, Jan wants to see you. And I'm thinking, here it comes. You know, uh, you know, can we shave your head? Can we, you know, some something. You know, and I go in and she just looks at me. So did she said, oh, you're perfect as you are. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, 133, I'm perfect as I am. But uh, now yeah. you're insulted. <laughs> now, now I'm insulted. But guess what? I have never, with Braytac at least, I have never met a fan who says, oh, you've gotten old. You see, you can't say that about Braytac. You started 133. I mean, you know, the guy's always going to look good. He's always going to be, you know. <laughs> Someone in chat, I was, I was peeking in. Someone said, there's no way he's 69. So they're like, no, nah, that's not possible. He looks younger than that. So there you go. Uh, I feel younger than that. When you get to be 69, you realize you're absolutely you're, you're, not, you're, you're naughtiest 15. Always. It's always there. You may not act on it. <laughs> so you spent a lot of time on location for that episode and you really got to experience the outdoors. But tell me about the weight of that initial costume. You know, first season, well, they had not really tweaked the costumes yet as they did as the, oh, the story man. went on. No, it was uh, it was very heavy. But uh, you know, first, let me say, you know, working outdoors. You know, everyone. I got such a welcome from people when I went back, from the crew and everything. They just could not have been nicer. And then I always realized the other shoe would fall because they realized if Braytac was back, we were going to a gravel pit. There was going to be some. <laughs> so they were going to have to. There were a few pits time. in Vancouver that did oh, just that. God. Yeah, I I spent so much time there, but um, yeah, the the wardrobe as an actor. What I hate is if you have very uncomfortable things that add nothing to the depiction of the character. There's not, you know, there there's someone else's idea of something. You have no connection to them. You just have to wear a funny hat that goes. It, it has to go to the left. It has nothing to do with the character. It's because the other one is going to the right. So. You're, you're you're trying to juggle it, but with I never resented the clothes uh, for Braytac, which were very heavy. The the uh, there was chainmail, there were plastic pieces, there were robes, there were uh, capes. I mean, it was probably I'd say fifty, fifty, sixty pounds. It's like and this boots. guy right here next to me. Oh, oh my God! And then you're talking about that guy, you know, well, <laughs> with the helmet, the pneumatic head. Oh yeah, right. You know, but. It looks so good. And one, one thing about carrying a lot of weight all day is that when you take it off at the end of the day, you feel like if for the people that have played basketball or wore ankle weights, it's that light feeling you feel. Uh, so I, I, always, I always enjoyed it. Uh, enjoy is not the right word. I, I was always very tolerant of it. Although sometimes, and this is Jan, you know, they would, you know, with the heat in that first episode, man, it was hot. Yeah. Quite hot with my, you know, they'd lift my, my little cap and literally yeah. water would pour out. Yeah. Because it all goes out of the top of your head. Oh, yes. Yeah, 30% of your heat, right? Uh, believe me, I know. Uh, so, so Jan, Jan, I, I, to this day, she'd have a little thing with ice and she'd have face cloths in it with uh, sea breeze. 
and she put them on the back of your neck and on your wrists and everything. But there was a funny thing that happened once that I'll never forget. <laughs> you know, they put they put your makeup on and they have to put sunscreen. Again, you're out in the sun. And I have my little um, my little uh, uh, tattoo tattoo. Yep. Right, my little golden guy. And uh, I guess the you know sometimes the, the you know time went by and they didn't do it. And when they took it off. I sort of had a tan. (laughs) You're kidding. (laughs) Yeah, very, very faint. (laughs) She said, oh, well, yeah, I guess we'll be more careful with the sunscreen (laughs) tomorrow. But but I said, oh, hey, we know what the positioning is now. (laughs) You can line it right back up. Forget the Polaroids. Well, it's so funny, you know, and there's always the joke. People were fascinated, you know, when you go to a con, they're saying, how did they, how did they attach that? And particularly if it's a young boy or girl, I'll look at them very seriously and say, oh, my tattoo? said, they use the nail gun. And I can always see them. That they're right. <laughs> it's good like that. You're bad, uh, Tony. I am. Bad. So, <laughs> you know, I love, I love that. But that's, you know, the great thing with the... Uh, yeah, and, and every, every so often, because we've been around so long, it, the parrot will say, yeah, he told me that joke too. <laughs> do, you know the, do you know the in-canon story of how it's done? No, what's that? So, so a certain uh, Jaffa or gold knife is used to cut the oh, flesh, yes. and then pure molten gold is poured in. Pure so molten gold. It's like it's pretty if intense. You're lucky, it's gold, right? If you're lucky, it's gold. If, right. If, if if you're a peon, it's not. Right. It's yeah. some kind of silver or something. Absolutely. Silver, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, tell me about your first. You've you told this story on uh, uh, dialing home. I'd like to hear the story again on Dial the Gate. Your first uh, encounter with Rick on set. You didn't exactly uh, know who he was studying to be working with Chris. Well, yeah, it's not. I mean, I knew he was the star of the show, and I, I certainly knew, uh, you know, MacGyver and those things. But you know, the odd thing about uh, one of the things about spending fifteen years in the theater and some of it pre VCR. You know, uh, let alone DVR, but pre VCR is that you uh, I, there are a whole like the 80s are a blank to me in terms of television, unless they were on Monday nights. If they were on Monday nights, Cagney and Lacey, those types of things, because that was our night off, you uh, know, okay. my wife and I. And we love Cagney and Lacey, by the way. Uh, so, you know, Rick, I knew he was, uh, you know, a, a star. Uh, right. But I had a job to do. And my job when I read, after I was hired and I was going to the paradise that is Vancouver, my job was, okay, Tony, get to work, get to work. Uh, enough. You're, you're, okay. Uh, what is the story again? Oh, okay. Story again. So there's this tilk. That's who I'm, I'm literally, when they find that I'm, I'm at his house. I know he's coming back mm-hmm. because his home has been destroyed. I'm literally holding vigil there. So I know, so obviously this is an important, you know, at my, at my own jeopardy. Right. Your uh, student. Yeah, my student. So I I know it's all based on him. And, uh, you know, you, you oh, Mike, Michael Shanks in a man tapping arena. They're all nice people, I'm certain. But the only one I care about is this guy, Christopher Judge. And so as soon as I, you know, after I meet Jan and do it the very next day when I'm going. Yeah, I see a picture of Chris when I'm in the fitting and the makeup. Say, oh, my God, he's an interesting guy. Boy, he's a big, strong guy. Uh but now I got to meet him. I got to look him in the eye, you know? And, and so they let me out and I'm just arrived. They're in between takes. Mario has a party is directed that episode. Michael, the uh, Greenberg is over there too mm. at the time. And uh, uh, you know, 
And I walk and they're having a confab about something and I walk and I'll never get. So Richard is, I get out of a van, Richard is here. And then uh, Chris, Amanda and uh, Michael are behind it. And I'm just walking, you know, as a break, I, you know, and the AD comes to me and I, I'm walking now looking for Chris and, and, you know, Richard's ready to receive me. Now, Richard is not going to remember any of this, you know, no. but Richard's, you know, ready to receive me, you know, to, you know, to receive my thanks for being on his show, which I did give him eventually, obviously. But I walked sort of right by and his, his hand almost extended and I just went right by him. <laughs> right up to Chris and said, hi, Chris, I'm Tony. I guess I guess we're a team, you know, and uh, and I remember when I remember, I don't know what Rick did behind me, but I remember the the other guys sort of like, you know, because you, I wasn't trying to be rude or anything like that. It was just like a simple focus. You generally don't walk by the number one. No, no. You yeah, you pay that. respect. You pay respect. And after I met Chris, and and again, it's that, you know, sometimes the people think actors have long discussions. And sometimes we do about certain things. But the most important thing is to be able to look a person in the eye and think, yeah, I could. You, it's almost like you have a scale. You look a person in the eye and you think of what your notion of who that person should be, that character, and you realize, oh my God, he or she is a three of my idea. I'm going to have to act seven of that, seven of that scale of 10. When I looked at Chris, I thought, well, we're at a 10. As a matter of fact, the, the probably... The less acting I do, the better, because there's a, I felt it just felt a good connection. Mm -hmm. And then I went over and said hi to, to Michael and, and Richard. He was very, he, you know, he was he was Rick, which is his great. Um, uh, it's what made the show so successful, his irreverence, mm -hmm. you know, uh, his, you know, the the reluctant hero, if you will. And I remember we had some intense things uh that first day we had some just brief but flipping and everything like that and that was and that's rick will do it and it's like yeah you, you know he's he's cranky and everything like that and i remember he you is know, yeah my, my first day I, I i just want to do it right i'm all then you gotta realize rick has been on set for 25 years he's had an amazing career i mean an well. extraordinary career from you know from all and so consequently it's his passion is his job. And you always have to negotiate that. Now there are special times and you can almost see him sometimes when they, it's generally when they give him a new weapon, <laughs> gets the fire. He's like a kid again. You can see the kid. Um, so um, a couple of times I thought, man, he's a little cranky. I mean, can't we just have a better time or can't we? Just... And I, I realized, Oh, thank God I didn't make a, a crack. Or something, you know, because you know, and uh, and I realized, and only of course, when, even when I did the second episode, uh, Serpent's Lair, I think uh, it was my yes, second episode. yeah, you were you came in uh, two hundred one, yeah. yep, right, that was my second episode, and when and only when I did that that I realized, oh no, this is gold. Well, this what they exactly picked up on in yeah in in Bloodlines, you know, the little threads of 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 chatter between you and Rick went full bore in that second episode. It's oh, like completely. they were playing that up. Oh, completely. And it was great, you know, because again, you know, Rick is, it's the reluctant hero. He's, he can, I always, I've always said this about Rick. The thing I admire uh, is that he's not, he's not the kind of guy that's going to go out and act for you. Right. You know, he's, he, he's not an actor with a capital A. He's going to, 
he's sort of the reluctant one. He likes to be the clown. He likes to be this. You know, he's offhand. I, I would watch him. Uh, you know, we'd have uh, a lot of uh, Jaffa speak, and da, 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 and I'd watch him try to figure out exactly what the best way to to bust that balloon was, what the remark needed to be. And it was written in the script, but often he would create a better line and they would let him do that, you know? But what I would love with Rick was when they'd corner him and force him to have an emotional scene. There was the, you, you know the episode so well. I mean, his stuff with Amanda, some of it was exquisite. And then there's the, there's the episode where he's trapped. He's skewered on a, on a, Yes. You know uh, what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. It's season two. Uh, it was, oh. uh, yeah, he was, it's like a crucifixion. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's message in a was, bottle. Message, he was, he's terrific. And it's almost like you have to corner him and he'll look, ah, shit. Is there any, excuse me, is there any way out? Is there any, is there a joke? Yeah. Can I be offhand? Oh, you really want me to go right through? And then he delivers a remarkable performance. And then he, then I can all of a sudden the focus that 25 years of knowing it's different. It's not 25 years of just acting mm-hmm. because he's been acting much longer than that. Mm-hmm. It's 25 years of knowing how to deal with this. This it's, You know what it is? It's like a matador in a kind of way, playing with the bull initially and doing all, the, you know, or the clowns. He's the clown. He's sort of the, uh, I'm not a big fan of bullfighting in a kind of way, but, you know, he's mm-hmm. playing, he's like the uh, rodeo clowns or the, the bullfighting clowns. And then the matador steps in. And it, all of a sudden, it can get quite serious, you know. Uh, anyway. That's awesome. I want to pull up some uh, questions from fans before I let you go. I really wanted to thank you for this initial first episode. This was fantastic. Oh. And it means a great deal to me that you that you came in, you know, and pinch hitting for Christopher. And, you know, there's there's a certain symmetry to that. So so thank you for being here. I'm pulling you know, I up. felt the same thing. I felt the same yeah. thing about I thought it was very appropriate for me to. To come in for Chris. Absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, there's a certain, like, like Braytac would do that, you know? Depend- yeah. I mean, if, if the Stargate were revealed to the world and, and Teal couldn't be there, I will go on national television on your I Earth will. stations. I will. So, absolutely. Summer, I'm not seeing the questions. So, I'm going to have to figure out, let me reopen it here. I'm not seeing them. So, for those who have come in... Uh, to ask questions for Tony. Uh, will you be back with us in a few months? Absolutely. Yeah. I will ask these questions then. So we're going to, um, I'm going to go ahead and make sure that those are copied because I'm, I, that this is my issue. This is not theirs. So I will, I will ask their questions. Um, I've copied them and I will ask the questions of the fans <coughs> the next, uh, the next time that we have you on this, sir was a treat. Absolutely. And the intent of this show is to go through and explore bit by bit the important people who created a piece of work that has provided us so much joy over the years and will continue to provide generations who have yet to encounter the show a great deal of, um, you know, entertainment, but also it's not just entertainment. You know, you're changing people's hearts and minds with this content. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's like Shakespeare. It's like Star Trek, you know? It means something to people. And thank it you does. for being a part of that. Well, it, let, me, let me say to you that you've done an enormous amount to keep this alive. And uh, I've been very aware of that. And, uh, you know, we've met and, and done things several times. And I want to mm. thank you 
for being for creating this um I don't know, repository of, uh, of, uh, of memories and ideas uh, about a show that meant a lot to all of us. And uh, so thank you. And I, I can tell just by looking at what's behind you. <laughs> that I'm a bit of a fan? <laughs> you, you, are, you are equipped for the next invasion. <laughs> I am indeed. Kree Jaffa. Absolutely. Uh, Tony, um, this, is, this has been fantastic. There's, there's much to discuss, and I look forward to having you back on um, early uh, 2021. So. You Thank you all. And, and to all you out there, keep watching. Uh, I hope we get to meet once uh, the dust clears from our current, uh, our current crisis. Okay. Be safe. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate your time. All right, folks, Mr. Tony Amendola, uh, Master Braytac himself, thank you so much for joining this episode. Uh, this was an abbreviated show, so we're going to go ahead and get ready for uh, Joseph Malazzi here, who's going to be uh, joining us in just a minute. Uh, let me see before... Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, wrap this up here. So before we go, if you like what you've seen in this episode, I would appreciate if you click the like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help grow uh, the show's audience. But please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you uh, really, uh, excuse me, and if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. If you plan to watch live, I recommend giving the bell icon a click so you'll be the first to know of any schedule changes, which will probably happen all the time. So bear in mind, clips of this live stream will be released over the course of the next several days on both the Dial the Gate and GateWorld.net YouTube channels. The clips are designed for people who don't have time to sit through the whole show. I appreciate everyone who is tuning in and everyone who is going to see the show after it's live. Thank you so much for watching, and uh, uh, you know what? Joseph Malazzi is going to be coming on in just a moment here. So we're going to bring him in and I'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acri. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith Homel, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo designed by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com. <laughs>